This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I am Fallon, and I am here with Mims. How are you today? I'm doing good. It's you look all cute in summery. Thank you. This is um my tropical vibe dress. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to feel it. Today's uh, extra hot, so I'm ready for it. Yes. Yesterday was like balls hot. It was. Like Satan's asshole hot. Yeah, it was super hot, and I decided it was a good day to deliver packages. Oh my god! <laughs> you told me that, and I'm like, ooh. It was good though. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell them your story of your attackers? I'm scared of chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled down this driveway because I was out in the country, and there's all these, you know, extra long driveways. So yeah. I pulled down this driveway. And there's this one chicken that just looks so weird. It didn't even look like a chicken. It looked like some kind of prehistoric animal. And I was like, what kind of creature is this? Oh my gosh, yeah. And I hop out. And then there's like a gang of chickens. And they're all surrounding me and clucking at me. And I just wanted to throw the package at them. (laughs) I didn't even bring it all the way up to the stop. So I like put it on a chair by the gate and ran back to my car. too. I would yeet out of there so fast. Yeah. I was like, I didn't know I'm scared of chickens, but I definitely am. They're intimidating. Yeah, because they, like, surrounded me like they were going to jump me. <laughs> like, please don't jump me. I'm trying to bring your parents a pack. Yeah, yeah. Farm animals are, like, kind of domesticated, but not at all. Mm. So they're, like, they know their boundaries, but then they also, like, don't fuck with people as well. I know. They're like, we don't know you, lady. Yeah. Yeah, I really thought they were going to the... They were surrounding me. <laughs> so that's and then my kid was dying laughing when I got home and I said I almost got jumped by some chickens. Yeah. He's like, you're scared of chickens. Chickens, I'm, mom. They're chickens. They're, it's valid. I think it's valid. Thank you. Um. Okay, any other exciting news? I don't think so. No, I don't have any either. I haven't watched the news. I'm just enjoying like summer and I know, yeah. Just trying to keep it light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just living day to day. Mm-hmm. Running my kids to the pool every day. Yep. You know, summer things. Yeah. Keep it light, you guys. Yeah. Doing summer things. Having fun. Uh oh, we got recognized. Oh yeah. Let's that, talk about that. That was super sweet. We were at a Mexican restaurant in Appleton. Mm-hmm. Um and somebody was like, you guys do a podcast. And I'm like, oh. We're famous now. <laughs> I was like, let this get to my head, Fallon. <laughs> I told you that we were celebrities in my mind. You did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and I was just like, you listen to us? Us? Really? <laughs> right? No. Uh, pretty sure I, like, 
really scared the guy too because <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Well, um, if he listens to us, he knows we're a little weird. Yeah, he knows we're crazy. So, yeah. but we love you. <laughs> we do, and we love being recognized. Yeah, that was great. If you want us to like, you know, be really ecstatic over the words you're saying, just say, "Hey, I know you from the podcast," and then right. I'll like. And then we look at each other like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and then I'd like jump over a, a, you know, a table to go and hug you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was pretty exciting. It was. Um, so reminder for our convention that we yes. are going to in August, uh, the 19th and the 20th, the dark horror. Dark history. history. God, I always <laughs> mix those two. Yep. Dark history and horror convention. Yeah. Uh, Champaign, Illinois. Uh, if you want details, you can um, follow the the page on Facebook. Um, there is an Instagram page as well. You can get tickets. Um, there's going to be a really cool tattoo artist, uh, some, you know, um, famous people More besides us. Besides <laughs> us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it should be a good time. Yeah, definitely. Come see us. Yes. Tell us how much you love our podcast. <laughs> yes, we would love that. Um, who's first today? I don't remember. I don't remember either. <laughs> this is why we need a Steven in our lives. We really do. <laughs> um, I honestly want to say... I can figure it out in two, <laughs> two shakes. Oh, my gosh. Steven! Yeah, we're... You know, you would think that we would know these things, but we don't. Pretty soon, we're going to have to... I was, have I was our... first. Okay. So, you go first. All righty. Today, I am discussing the 1947 disappearance of eight-year-old Georgia Jean Weckler from Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And my sources today are thecharlieproject.org, unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com, and hauntedrockford.com. So I'm going to start with the description of what Georgia was last seen wearing, just in case anyone stumbles upon anything that could be of help to the case, because sometimes if you find something in the woods or something, it's helpful to know what the clothing is. So she was last seen wearing a light blue t-shirt with a pink buttoned sweater over it, a blue skirt with with a red moon or flower pattern, blue jeans under the skirt, rubber boots, or brown moccasin type shoes, with reddish-colored composition soles and a brown-flowered headscarf. And she's a Caucasian female, blonde hair, brown eyes, and she has a growth on one of her heels. So Georgia was last seen on May 1st in 1947 at approximately 3.30 p.m. She had gotten a ride home from school from a neighbor who dropped her off at the end of her half-mile driveway. Those driveways freak me out. The long driveways. Yeah, I had to go down like 50 of them yesterday, and they scare me. Do you feel like there's no end? Is that why you're scared? Because I don't know what's at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean... They're all murder houses. Yeah, I mean... I mean, none of them have been yet, but... Right, but you (laughs) never know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. I I could see the fear. Yeah. I make up a lot of things in my imagination. (laughs) Well, you have to be alert. That's a good way to put it. You should be alert and maybe a little crazy. Yeah. Okay. At the time of her disappearance, Georgia was eight years old. She was in third grade at Oakland Center School. 
And Georgia and her siblings normally rode their bikes to school, but on this day, her father had driven the children to school because of the muddy conditions. And a lot of them. I would think a lot of uh, country driveways are mostly gravel. Yeah, so so it was kind of muddy, mm -hmm. and their dad was like, I'll just drop you off at school. But then, for some reason that day, Georgia was getting out before her older brother and sister. Like, they released her from school 30 minutes before those two. So, she found a neighbor that lived near them to get a ride home with. So, she didn't have to walk by herself or wait the 30 minutes for her siblings. Okay. And then, the neighbor brought her to the top of the driveway. She didn't bring her all the way down the driveway. She brought her to the top of the driveway and she saw Georgia grab the mail out of the mailbox. She said she had a big stack of letters and that Georgia indicated she might go into the woods to pick some flowers for May Day. Oh, that is so sweet. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, what a sweet girl. Yeah. And unfortunately, this was the last time she was seen. She was. She's never been seen again and none of the mail has ever been seen again either. Wow. So she never made it to her house. Right. The neighbors... Oh, I already said that. (laughs) (laughs) Georgia's family was not immediately worried. Her mother, Eleanor, assumed Georgia was with her father when she wasn't at home. Oh. She figured she just went by her dad and she was just going to wait for him to get done with work and come home with him. Yeah. So when he arrived home at 6 p.m. She's like, what the fuck? And he didn't have Georgia. Yeah. Then everybody started panicking. Yeah. I could see why you would think that. Yeah, definitely. Especially, it seems like, you know, he was a good dad, like, doing yeah. stuff with the kids, had given them a ride. She might have just been like, hey, I want to be with my dad today. Yeah. Um, some witnesses reported seeing a dark-colored, possibly black, four-door 1936 sedan that also had a gray plastic spotlight on it in the vicinity of Georgia's home that afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was a truck driver that had driven by and noticed the car seemed out of place in the neighborhood. Wow, I like that they picked up on that. Mm -hmm. I I look at random vehicles and I don't ever think that, you know. Mm -mm. I think everybody's suspect. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't pay attention enough. Like, if, like, somebody down my street, if I don't recognize, like, a car, I'm like, eh. (laughs) <laughs> you know? I don't oh, I know all my neighbors' vehicles. Yeah. I know their schedules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't... I don't know. Not that I don't care enough, but I guess I just don't pay attention enough. Yeah. And it depends, like, how much you're outside in front of the house to see what you see. But I think That's in the country, true. it's different because there's oh, no yeah, reason I guess to you're be right. out there unless you're supposed to be there. I guess you're right. Yeah, it's different. Because I know when I'm out in the country and I'm not, like, local, people look at me like, um... Yeah, that's Who are true. you, lady? Yeah. And then people described the person driving the vehicle as a blonde man who appeared to be between 20 and 25 years old. And when the police went there to investigate, there were deep tire tracks found where the vehicle had been parked. And that led them to believe that the car had pulled off really fast, like spun their tires and dug into the dirt. Yeah, that makes sense. 
And then others reported seeing a young girl in the same type of vehicle struggling with a man who fit the description. Oh, my God. Yeah, driving down the road struggling. Please don't just let that go by you. Like, if you see somebody struggling, that's not okay. No. But back then, what would you do? I would, like, rear-end them, spin them out Tokyo Drift style. What if it was just a bad toddler? Oh, jeez. <laughs> you just never know, I guess. <laughs> you, you just Tokyo drift somebody. And it's like, oops, my bad. Because I was imagining my daughter Allie, she's about to be 17. But yeah. when she was a toddler, she could escape from her car seat because she was really bad. She was just not so. Escaping so babies are naughty. the worst. So I'd be driving, and all of a sudden there'd be like this toddler bouncing around the back seat um, of my car. And you're like, Jason, and I would get back. be trying to ring her back in and shove her back in her seat. So I, it would it could look like a kidnapping because she could. would definitely scream like she hated me and didn't know why she was in the car with me. Oh my god! Yeah. So it I could, could it see, could go both ways. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, these days you could just call. You know, the non-emergency number or whatever and say, you know, somebody might want to check into it. I've done that, not in that specific situation, but I've called the non-emergency and I'm like, I'm being crazy right now. But then I felt good about it after because there was this guy who was sitting in his, like, really gross looking van, Mm -hmm. like, just sitting in a park, like, Mm -hmm. in the parking lot and just Mm -hmm. kind of watching and, like, kids were playing on it. And he was, like, mm-hmm. the only vehicle there. I was, like, on a lunch break. And I was... It was him and I in our cars just, like, chilling. And he he looked like he lived in the van. And I'm, like, this isn't right. So then I called. And then the officer who answered was, like, are you sure that person isn't, like, a dad there? And I'm, like, why would he be parked all the way in the back of the parking lot if he's watching a kid at in the park? Yeah. That's bizarre. It is bizarre. So, yeah, that's my... I would have called on him, too. Because people okay, like to make... go and watch kids in the park. Yeah. That's what pedophiles do. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't think this is that weird of me to call on. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, so that's my story. That reminded me, somebody was following me to the park the other day. I didn't even have my kids. I was just going to park down by Lutz Park. Yeah. Because I need a break. I yeah. I sit by the water. Mm-hmm. But I had driven by this guy... It was an old guy, and he, like, had made eye contact with me when he drove by. Mm-hmm. And I went and pulled in the parking lot, and then he came and pulled up next to me, and he was, like, staring at me and smiling at me. I was like, this is not relaxing. Let me get the fuck up out of here. Yeah, like, old men smiling at you like, is why, never calming. Why did you just turn around and come in the parking lot ne- and park exactly next to me? No. The whole parking lot is empty. Gross. Uh, yeah, I would have so fled the scene. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. Back to my story. Yeah, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So no one can confirm for sure that it was Georgia that they saw in the car, but the girl did match her description. Okay. And this unknown man has been the prime suspect since her disappearance. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. So the first theory into Georgia's abduction was that she was abducted for ransom. Georgia's father was a public official and he also had the means to pay a ransom. The family had owned their farmland for over a hundred years, and both parents had been active members of the community and local government. Like they were very involved, very well known. So they're definitely in the public eye to the point that if somebody was gonna do some kind Extort of ransom, them, they would know they had yeah, the means. Exactly. Okay. 
But when days passed without a ransom letter, then the investigators had to begin considering other options because they figured, you know, maybe tomorrow. But a few days passed and they hadn't heard anything. My thought would be no ransom. It's not for money. It's for other things. Mm-hmm. And that's what they went to. Yeah. So their next theory was that she was taken by a sexual predator. Yeah. Which was Is my blows. first theory. Yeah. Yeah. And it had also been noted by people in Georgia's life that she had made numerous comments about being scared of being kidnapped prior to her disappearance. I thought that was really weird. So that made me wonder if she had like noticed a specific person lurking around or if she had been approached by someone who had made comments to her or made her feel uncomfortable. That's a weird... Um- you know what? Never mind. Because I always, I think, I get in my car and what's the first thing I do? I lock it. You know, like you. But yeah, I guess it's but very specific. Yeah, I guess you're right. At eight is weird and like country living. You don't really have your guard up that much. Right. That's why I was like, that's a strange thing to say because my children, I tell them flat out, you could get kidnapped, and they're just like, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, right, mom. Yeah, you're there. That's not even on their their no, minds. They're just like, yeah, that doesn't happen. Right. You're, you're right. You're right. And as an adult that knows what's out there, oh yeah, I worry about getting kidnapped. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's you know we're we're easy to snatch. Yeah. Especially me. I'm like compact size. You are. You're so, good snatchable size. <laughs> My husband, like... But you're crazy. But I'm crazy. I wiggle out and, you know, flail around, and I'm very slippery. (laughs) So, so, um, I'm not that, not that attainable. But you look like you are. But I look like I am, yes. Yeah. They would be in for a very unpleasant surprise. Yeah, and I'm a biter, so... (laughs) Even better. Yeah, even better. Do not try to kidnap Mims. Mm-mm. I will bite you. <laughs> and I will find you and hunt you down. See, there you go. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I don't know what that was about. Nobody really said, but it seemed incredibly strange it, But she, me. her parents knew that this was a fear of hers. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would be, like, walking her everywhere, and I don't know. That was the other thing I was thinking. Life was so different back then. That's true. I mean, some people still are like that now, so I shouldn't say back then. I'm just a psycho. Right, yeah. (laughs) There's no way my 10-year-old would be walking around by himself. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a panicker. Yeah. Not about most things, but about my children. Of, Of course, yeah. Yeah. And so... This is their theory, and then they're trying to figure out, like, well, I wonder who it would be... But they're not getting anywhere. And pretty soon, as it goes, people stop talking about the case so much. Mm-hmm. Rather quickly, it seems like. You know, a couple of months, and it's not because of the never anymore. Uh, yeah, it's a never-ending news cycle. So you keep yeah. getting m- more stories about horrific things. So then mm-hmm. the, this horrific thing that happened two months ago isn't as prevalent as the horrific... Which is yeah. not true, but right. it's just on the on the minds of people right then and there. Yeah. Then in the fall of 1947, Buford Senate had just begun serving a life sentence for rape and murder. While he was incarcerated, he confessed to killing Georgia. 
He can't. He claimed that him and an unnamed accomplice did kidnap Georgia for ransom purposes, but they accidentally gave her too many sleeping pills, and she overdosed and died. He said that they then tossed her body into the Blue River in the town of Blue River, but authorities searched the river and didn't find any evidence that she had been dumped there. There's like, she wasn't there. There's no clothing, no nothing. Mm-hmm. But near there, they found a place where Sennett had been hiding out in the woods from his previous crimes. Mm-hmm. And they found ashes there. And there was a woman who said she had been there and she had witnessed Senate burning Georgia's body. Oh, that's so horrific. Holy so shit. they did forensic testing on the ashes and there was no evidence of human remains in the ashes. Why would she say that? What the fuck? Why would he say he threw her in the river? Yeah. I don't know. Senate was never charged in connection with the disappearance and he later recanted his confession. Okay. He was paroled in 1974, and when he was released, he went on to sexually assault two more young girls. Why? Why do you let these monsters out? I don't know. Do you... S- oh, my God. Are you on any, like, Facebook scanner pages or, like, the APD page or anything? Um, I don't think so. Every time I see the APD say they're releasing these sex offenders and I read the things that they've done, I'm so disgusted... I believe in rehabilitation for most things, but child sex offenders, I just, I can't. I can't either, because it's not, um, I made a mistake in my life, I have learned to, I, you know, be better, it's a preference, Mm -hmm. it's a mindset. Yeah, it's actually considered, like, a psychological disorder, Mm -hmm. and... So how do you rehabilitate that? You can't. Exactly. You really can't. They can try to do so to, like, help them learn to stop their urges, but they're always going to be there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why do we let them back out with children? I don't know. And so, due to that assault, in 1987, he was sentenced for 20 years for those assaults, and the judge said that was to run consecutively to the remainder of the time from his first sentence, so for his parole, because he violated parole. Mm -hmm. And then he went on to die in a Wisconsin prison in 2008. So this time they're like, yeah, you're not getting back out, buddy. Good. I know. So numerous other people also confessed to killing Georgia. Why the fuck do people say things like this? Confess to things like... I don't know, it's horrible. And I know that people do it these days, like on social media and stuff. They contact. You haven't heard about this? Mm-mm. The look on your face. Yeah. It's a huge problem with families with missing family members. Oh. Wow. They try to extort them. Like, I have <clears throat> um, evidence of where your daughter is. I need you to send me $10,000. Okay. That... That makes more sense than not saying that it's right right but then just outright saying i committed these crimes i i killed her with this i did this to her you know like that doesn't make sense to me no but a lot of these killers do that yeah yeah i never understood that so then in 1957 when ed gein was arrested for his crimes then there was a renewed interest in georgia's case and many people believe maybe he had something to do with it, but I don't see it at all. No, and you're I don't see your that head, at so, all. No. no, like his victims were all middle-aged women that reminded him of his mother. Not children. two, two 
that he actually did that for just body parts and then the yeah. rest were deceased. Yeah. So he was not kidnapping not, children. Not an eight year old girl. No. And no, no. Like, get your profiles right, people. Yeah, come on. Amateur hour. Seriously. <laughs> come talk to us. Yeah. We're professionals now. Don't always blame it on Ed Gein. Yeah. People act like he was just running around like Jeffrey Dahmer, just mm. like killing people everywhere. Being like, yeah. Yeah. I think that they, the misconception of him has been completely just, I don't know. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, nothing indicates anywhere in his history that he had any interest in children at all, so that's a stupid theory, guys. Yeah. And I know this story is incredibly tragic, but I did find some hope in the way that the community showed up for the family. Okay. Because they understood that the family's energy needed to be put into finding their daughter. Mm-hmm. So people showed up and cooked meals for the family. They came and plowed the fields and helped plant for them so oh that they didn't God. have to worry about the farming they came and sheared the sh- <coughs> sheared the sheep when it was time oh like everybody just showed up and just did everything for them i love that community yeah and the local paper was publishing photos of georgia's artwork oh she my was God. a little artist and she did a lot of drawings of her family on their farm <sighs> so the newspaper published them my heart so there still is, there's never been any sign of what happened to her. And those are the cases that blow my mind the most. There's just, you just never know. You are gone without a trace. A human being is yeah. gone without a trace. She's completely vanished. Yes. That is terrifying. It is. Because it can literally happen to anybody. And I mean, she was eight. She could have been kidnapped and not murdered she could have been kidnapped and brainwashed and lived a whole life and never knew who she was yeah like elizabeth smart but she wasn't yeah. brainwashed she but she lived with these horrific people yeah for years yeah like 20 right mm, no 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 i think it was like five i'm exaggerating <laughs> <laughs> yeah jake my husband never heard of that story so i was like oh my god we're gonna sit down and watch this and yeah. we sat down and watched like the remake of her life and he's like just open jaw the entire time yeah it's crazy mm-hmm. all right that's all i got for you good job thank you yeah okay this is i am doing the story of concepcion aka connie reyes are you familiar i don't think so okay so um it was pretty big story back in the 90s um my sources are from oxygen because there was a whole you know uh, not a series but like an episode on like their true crime okay um archie weekend uh kenosha news and google groups so uh connie was born in 1952 and she grew up in the philippines outside of manila she came to the united states to uh, teach college and then stayed here to begin her career she was already a teacher in the philippines and she just you know loved children yeah uh she was one of three brothers and sisters inside of a close-knit family 
so she began teaching in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and in the late 1960s, she got her graduate's degree and became a social worker, helping children trapped in an abusive home environment. Uh, she spent her life as a social worker, um, you know, just trying to be a, an advocate for these kids. I love that. She was literally a living angel. Uh, so here's a direct quote from a former Kenosha County District Attorney Robert Jamos. Uh, Connie was the kind of person that would do everything she could to try to reunify the family, but she also would do everything she could to pursue the termination of parental rights at the same time, end quote. Okay. Which, you know, I I fully support and reunification of a family if mm-hmm. people have taken the right steps. Right. Um, but I also believe in, you know, to removing children that yeah. do not deserve to be in the situations that they are in because of their parents or guardians. Yeah. So she threw herself into her work and didn't have a romantic relationship. Her life revolved around saving kids and being their advocates. Um, Basically, she didn't have an outside life besides her job. Yeah. So sadly, one of those kids she helped would one day be responsible for her, the end of her life. That's terrible. On April 14th, 1990, tragedy struck. Uh, Robert Jamos and his wife uh, were called to the scene of a murder in the traditionally low-crime city of Kenosha. Uh, So upon arriving at Connie's residence, there were several red flags that just didn't add up. So the large amount of newspapers at her front door was, you know, the first red flag. Right. Um, and there was no signs of forced entry, and there was no valuables missing. That's strange. Mm-hmm. So, Robert stated, I went inside to inspect the scene, and there was Connie Reyes on the floor. I was genuinely shocked and horrified to see that she had been murdered, end quote. Uh, she had been strangled, and judging by her clothes, she was also sexually assaulted. It was stated by former Kenosha police detective Christine Fonk. She was wearing a little blouse and a sweater sweater up with the sweater over her head, the blouse up, and her bra over. So, mm-hmm. definitely a sexual component to this. Right. Unfortunately, DNA evidence was in its infancy at this time of the murder, and there was little physical evidence for them to collect as well. Investigators began looking at her casework, searching for a potential suspect that might, you know, have a grudge. Um, It was important to look at her casework as she would occasionally have to remove the kids from home for their benefit and under, you know, dire circumstances. Right. So what threw investigators through a loop is that if this was a revengeful killing, why was there a sexual assault that happened? That's a really good point. Um, so, given the sexual assault, investigators assumed that the killer was a male. So, mm-hmm. I think that really threw them off. Um, so, all the suspects they interviewed, however, had a- valid alibis. Uh, years would pass with no leads. 
uh, frustrating investigators as well as Connie's family and friends. Just nothing was panning out for them, and they wanted to figure out who could do this to somebody so valuable in, you know, the community doing a good job. Right. Uh, But they didn't give up, and they wouldn't let her death go unsolved. In June 1995, Christine Funk took over the case. Uh, Several new leads were generated, including several bogus confessions, like he happened in years. so crazy. None led to an arrest. Uh, I won't even confess for something real. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, that's so factual, though, because I'd be like, I'm not saying anything. Yeah, like, I don't know anything. No, no, I would never. No. Um... So 13 years would pass until February 2003 when a woman named Linda Gulan contacted the Kenosha police with information about the case. So Linda stated, I called the Kenosha police department and I asked if they ever solved Connie Reyes's murder. And I was like, why would you do that? (laughs) They responded with no. And she responded with, well, I might be able to help you. Hmm. Linda then dives in by saying that she and her husband, Chester Goulon, had recently moved to Mississippi from Kenosha to stay with a friend named Sandra. The couple was out of work and doing, you know, just down on their luck, trying to do anything that they could. Right. Uh, So then Chester stole Sandra's silverware and pawned it, and she had him arrested for theft. So while in custody, he began talking about a murder he was involved in back in Kenosha. Oh, wow. Does that ring a bell? (laughs) (laughs) He stated, uh, the police in Kenosha are after me. They want to know about the murder of a social worker. I can't can't go back there, end quote. But, like, nobody was talking to him. So it must have been just, just like, eating him up. Yeah. So, in March 2003, Linda Funk traveled to Aberdeen, Mississippi, and spoke with Sandra Goulon, who said Chester Goulon had implicated two acquaintances from Kenosha, um, one by the name of Linda Dancer and her husband, Gaylord Gomez. Wow. Uh, So then, uh, bingo, there's a lead, and... Now she's starting to pull on the strings to unravel everything. So Chester then stated, I know for a fact that Gaylord had killed two people. Uh, he said because he was with them when they killed the social worker. I'm like, yes. It, you're trying to distance yourself away from what happened, but you were there. Yeah. Well, he killed them, but I was just there. And I know about it because I was there. Yeah. So, Linda Fonk then followed up with uh, Linda Gulan. And Linda Gulan told things that only someone at the homicide would have known. Uh, for instance, that she was sexually assaulted, which was never put in the paper or disclosed to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, then Linda Fonk then traveled to Tupelo, Mississippi, where she spoke to 62-year-old Chester Gulan. So, a lot of this was not from uh, the mouth of Chester. Um, That information was by his wife and what he supposedly said in prison. So, now she's going to the direct source. Uh, Though he initially reluctantly gave details, 
or refused to give details, she broke him down after hours of questioning. She kept this inside, or he kept this for inside for 13 years, and Linda believed he wanted to tell somebody, so eventually he broke down. Right. Chester explained that Connie was a social worker responsible for Linda Dancer's three daughters being removed from her home. Hmm. So, Linda Dancer was later allowed uh, supervised visits with her children. However, issues between her and her husband, Gaylord, led Connie to limit the visitations. Okay. So, Linda Dancer and Gaylord were scheduled for a supervised visit with her children on Thursday, April 12, 1990. However, Connie canceled the visit after she became ill that morning. So, mm. all because she became ill that morning. Like, she deserves to die because she was sick that day? Uh, there's more to it. So, okay. Linda instigated going to Connie's and giving her what she deserves. Mm. Linda and Gaylord, uh, they recruited Chester to be the person to knock on Connie's door. Then... She, when she opened the door, Gaylord forced his way in and knocked her to the floor and strangled her. Uh, Linda Dancer then encouraged the men to sexually assault her after her death. Oh, wow. So she's sick. Yeah. Investigators no look... I she didn't have her kids. Right. Like, that's why, like I said, like, I, I support both situations where right. they're reunited and right. when they're removed yeah because it all really depends on the parents mm-hmm. and what they're willing to do and what kind of person they are and, and clearly if you're uh yeah. y- your thought process is i'm gonna kill somebody because of this then yeah. you yeah i fully support that decision that happened right so investigators looked into linda's background and learned that her history with connie went back to her own childhood Oh, wow. Linda Dancer herself had grown up in foster care, and Connie was her social worker at one point. She's been doing it that long. Oh, my goodness. It was known that Linda didn't like Connie, and she was removed because she was removed from her mother's care when there was a lot of animosity, and there was a lot of animosity left over from that decision. That seems, like, weird that they would put Connie on her That is true. I feel like that's a conflict. They probably didn't realize, or... Maybe. Connie probably saw so many kids, she didn't even know. I feel like, yeah, maybe that, too. <sighs> yeah, I feel like I that was know. a conflict. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It definitely was a conflict. By the time that she was 25, Linda had three children by all different men, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with Linda and who she is, it seemed like not an ideal parent. Right. Then, in 1985, she married Gaylord, and they had a very toxic relationship, so her children were ultimately removed from their home. Detectives in Wisconsin brought Gaylord at the age of 49 in for questioning, so he was interviewed and he was questioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing happened, though. So, Gaylord and Linda were divorced at this time, and so he made a full confession um, uh, you know, not when they were questioning him, but, like, all these years later. Okay. Um, he claimed that it was Chester Gulan who was the one who strangled Connie to death, not him. 
He admitted to sexually assaulting her along with Chester and Linda at the age of 43 was brought in next for questioning and told a completely different story uh, than her two accomplices. Her story was that she claimed to have tried to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't accept any responsibility and did not provide a testimony that was consistent with the other two accomplices. So it seems like they, the two men were owning up and saying, right. yes, we we did this to her. One of them strangled her. You know, they kept shifting yeah, they the blame. Yeah, they didn't want to take the blame for the murder. And then she was like, I was, I was appalled. I Why didn't want this she, to happen. Why was she there? Mm-hmm. So Gaylord Gomez and Chester Goulon were arrested and charged with the first degree intentional homicide, and Linda Dancer was subsequently arrested and charged with first degree intentional homicide as a party to the crime. Okay. One of the first days of his uh, murder trial for Gaylord, uh, he pleaded guilty to the murder of Connie Reyes, and then fortunately enough, he was sentenced to life in prison. Chester Goulon was convicted of first degree intentional homicide and sentenced to life in prison uh but then he died in prison in 2007 so he didn't fully serve yeah i don't think no um but i was more interested in what would happen to linda because i believe she was a mastermind behind the entire situation yeah uh she wanted them to do the home invasion they she wanted her to suffer and told them to sexually assault her and she wanted her to pay for what she did to her, you know, air bunnies. Yeah. To her and her childhood and to her uh, with her own kids. Right. Um, so I truly believe that she was the driving force of this crime. Alinda Dancer was convicted of first degree intentional homicide as a party uh, to the crime and sentenced to life in prison. And then she died in prison in 2020. Oh, okay. Uh, the surviving accomplice, Gaylord Gomez, uh, will be... Was that right? Yes. I was like, did I say... Yep. Uh, will be eligible for parole in 2034. It's coming up, you know. Yeah. So her co-workers, Connie's, I mean, uh, Joanne Slater, stated she really took everyone under her wing. It was a great loss to a lot of people when this happened. And she was a lot of people's auntie, a lot of people's grandma, and a lot of people's good friend. End quote. Every year on the anniversary of her death, her co-workers gather at her grave in a pleasant prairie cemetery to bring flowers say a prayer and tell stories about their friend um so really this story is about connie and all the good work that she did all the good work that social workers do and this could happen to any of them because of the animosity that they get for removing a child or children from their homes and Mm -hmm. you know they put themselves in situations like this and we don't really talk about it right they have an immense case work and case loads and they're severely understaffed and they're just yeah. trying to do the best that they can for children that don't have advocates and right. that need people in their lives to say, I'm here for you, I, I, I support you, and I believe you. Yeah, and it seems like she was a good one because mm-hmm. there's some terrible ones. Yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so um i'm glad yeah so that, that is she a was able to help a lot of people in her life though i know yeah it seems like she really was in it for the right reasons yeah because she was completely dedicated she didn't have anything else no yeah that is a tragic story of concepcion aka connie reyes great job thank you thank you Okay, well, we hope you enjoyed this one. Yes, we love you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at all the sins of wi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't, don't forget, forget, we love you. Love you.